If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hello, my fellow truth seekers. Welcome to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I'm so glad that you are here today. Today is a packed episode. I can't wait to hit today's topic. If you're one of those people that is like hunting down the truth inside of what you've always been taught about God and religion and Christianity and scripture and the Bible and all the things that we discuss a lot on this podcast, you're going to eat this episode up. Today, I take my years of not only being in leadership, but also my role as a pastor and someone who's walked through lots of stuff, lots of spiritual stuff with lots of people, and my own personal journey of dissecting this through scripture and through the lens of the divine, I unpack this whole idea of spiritual attacks and if there even is such a thing and is Satan really real? What is that all about? And what about this idea of if I step outside the will of God, I might lose God's favor or blessing and and I have to submit to all the authorities on top of me. Otherwise, I'm going to just be cursed (laughs) and fall into spiritual attack again. We discuss all of this inside this episode. I also talk about spiritual strongholds and what I believe those actually are. It is such a rich episode, and like I said, if you're someone that is constantly questioning and thinking outside the box and wondering, wait a second, is all this stuff like I've been told it is, or is there something more? You will really love the content inside of this episode, and you know, you might be surprised. So, super pumped about this episode. And if you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to consider supporting it. There are various different ways you can support the show. The easiest way is to go to iTunes, search for Behind the Mirror, and leave a review. Rate the show. This is such an easy way to support this show. Not only do your reviews mean the world to me and encourage me to keep doing this work, but it also helps other people in similar lives such as yours find this show and connect with the content in the way you are. So I really encourage you to do that if you've not done that yet. Secondly, I have a Patreon page. You can find that on my website, justajesusfollower.com, and you can click on the button that says Patreon, and there are ways to support at various different levels there. And last but not least, I have to give a shout out to our Facebook group. So much of the content inside of these episodes comes from the discussion that's inside of this group. So if you're not in there, you have an open invitation to join. And if you are in there, huge shout out to you. Huge thank you to all of you guys for your continued vulnerability, your continued desire to to find connection, to be authentic, and to really, really search and find that inner voice and own it. I just love you guys so much for that. So 
If you'd like to be in that group, you can go to my website, justajesusfollower.com backslash podcast backslash podcast group and opt in there. Like I said, super pumped about the episode today. So without any further ado, here we go. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. We are talking all about this dark side of our faith. And what I mean by that is once you get inside the trenches of the American Christian faith, there becomes a lot of talk around spiritual things such as spiritual attacks and stepping outside the covering of God and what can happen to you if you do that and spiritual strongholds and this lovely topic of Satan and his power or believed power that he can exercise at his will. So we're tackling all of that. And and for some of you, I want to be sensitive because I know that a lot of you were raised under this mindset and it may bring some trauma to talk about this stuff. I, I want you to know that this is not an episode that's scary. I promise you it's not. This is not an over-spiritualized episode. I want you to know that that is not at all where we're headed with this. So we're going to take a practical look at what Jesus defined this whole thing as, not only in his behavior, but in his choice of words. And I'm also going to give you my take uh, personally from having been raised in an evangelical, more charismatic base where this was very normalized in the culture I was in and how I have navigated through that and out of that and where I sit presently. So um, I think you're going to find this very, very insightful and hopefully it will offer you a lot of clarity. So we're just going to dive right in. Is that okay? Okay. So looking at my background, just to give you guys a good picture of what I come from. So non-denominational was definitely the um, church group that I have belonged to uh, most of my life. And inside of non-denominational groups, you know, there were the, the flags that were raised and waved around during worship services. There were people talking in tongues. There were people being prayed for. There were people believing in healings. And it was often very exciting. You know, when you are young, And even I think when you're not young, when you see things that are very emotional and very moving at times and you feel God working or moving or his presence or whatever you want to title it, all of that is very exciting. And so I bought in to all of that stuff and and that there was a lot of good that came from that. There was a lot of of meaningful experiences that I had and I'm not going to discredit that. However... As you mature and grow in your faith, you start realizing that a lot of the conversations begin moving towards this idea of spiritual warfare. And when I say spiritual warfare, for those of you that that may be a foreign term, um, that means that 
we, and this is the group that I formerly belonged to, um, we believed that there were powers of God and powers of Satan. And those were at war constantly all the time over your soul and over everyone else's soul. And for those who are in the elite, those who are in the more holy of holies in their spiritual walk, join into that battle. And you, of course, want to opt into the winning side, which would be the God side. And so I remember um, when I was in leadership for a while, they had, you know, recovery groups. Um, and, and so many of those are very good. I'm not discrediting a lot of the recovery groups. Um, but some were more spiritual based, meaning that there were these full step programs that you would go through in renouncing your ties to certain things because you didn't want to give Satan or the enemy or whatever term they used for it any opportunity to wreak havoc in your life. And there were spiritual ties that you had to break and spiritual strongholds you had to overcome. And it became a lot of work, a lot of work. And I coached a lot of people through these processes. Now, I'm going to touch into some of that later because I believe there there is light and dark. I think that Anyone who has spent more than a minute on planet Earth can recognize there's good and there's evil. And those of you who are spiritually minded, whether you identify with Christian or not, would probably also come to a landing page of, yes, there is a good light and a darkness. And we definitely don't want to mess with the dark side, right? So there is definite importance to that. And I'm going to tackle that a little bit later. But for now, I'm just giving you the the context of where I come from. So... Going through all of that, there were some great things, and I will talk about that a little bit later, but there were also um, a lot of over-spiritualizing and a lot of fear. And I want to focus in a little bit on the fear side because I think that that is where people get the most hung up and the most caught up, and they begin to not be present where they are in life, but they start thinking of things from an external point of view. And what I mean by that is when you immerse yourself in this belief of there's a constant battle going on, there's a constant warfare happening, and I'm engaging 24-7, this can lead to a ton of paranoia. I had one of my very, very dear friends. She grew up in this as well. And I mean, she was terrified to buy things from thrift stores because she was afraid that she there was a spirit attached to the sweater she bought at the Swift, this thrift store and she was told to burn the sweater. Um, you are afraid to read certain books because you're afraid if you read them, then it's going to invite spiritual darkness and spirits of, of the enemy into your life and open doors spiritually that you don't want to walk through. So there's ton of fear wrapped up. Music you listen to, movies you watch, everything, even people you interact with, you begin seeing them as spiritual carriers and not in a positive light, rather than human children of God. And so when you cross into that mind frame, everything becomes something that you are on guard against and afraid of. And constantly trying to discern or sniff out what's safe and what's not safe. Okay, living by fear is never how God would want you to live. The opposite of fear is love. And love and fear cannot coexist. And you cannot love your neighbor if you're looking at them as a carrier of a spirit of witchcraft or a carrier of a spirit of lust or a spirit of greed or whatever. You're not going to walk in love towards them. 
So fear and love can't share the same space. And we see, as I will tackle here in a minute, Jesus modeled this so beautifully. He always carried love. He did not walk in fear. Um, And also when you are in this mind frame, not only do you tend to be paranoid and look at people as not human anymore, but you also tend to just over-spiritualize your life in general. So if something bad happens, you're freaking out that it's a spiritual attack or you're freaking out that maybe you opened a door to something and it led to something else. And this is neurotic behavior. And I've watched a lot of people get so caught up in this that not only do they lose touch with their loved ones, but they lose touch with the space that they're living in now. And it's important to remember that Jesus himself said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not some far off place you're going to hit when you die. Although, of course, we all want to believe that we get to spend eternity in a paradise place with the divine. Of course, we hope for that. But he said I, I, it's here. It's at hand. So there is something to be said about being present in the skin you're in, in the environment, in the space and time that you are living and breathing right now. And my fear for many people who fall into this mind frame and live in this space all the time is that they lose touch with that. They lose touch. Okay, so there is this belief that says you must submit to authority. Otherwise, you are going to get yourself out of God's covering. And this belief system says that they're, and they always said it to me like, imagine it like an umbrella. So you want to stay under the umbrella, i.e. the covering of what God has placed in authority over you. And if you don't, then things will go badly. And, And a lot of the authority definitions are spelled out as, if you're a child or a teenager, your parents, then your pastor, your leadership at church, And if you are a woman and you get married, it's your husband. And after all of that, it is every single Christian on the planet. And I know that sounds extreme and and not many people would say that they agree with that. But the behavior inside of a lot of faith communities displays that loudly. Stay accountable, stay in check, stay, stay with those of the faith and make sure that they all are, you know, approving and covering you, right? Okay. And the, and the belief is if you don't stay under their authority, meaning you don't do or think or say things outside of what they deem as God's will for you, then you are removing yourself from the covering blessings and favor of God. And, you know, when I say it like that, it doesn't land well. But somehow when it's presented in counseling sessions from a pulpit, in pastoral meetings, it doesn't sound bad. It actually sounds good. And it sounds like, oh, this is right. And there are scriptures that I'm not going to dive into because we're hitting a lot today. But there are scriptures they use to, to back this. Okay. So if we believe that not submitting under the authorities that that are above us, that that would remove the covering, the favor, the blessings of God. What does that say about God? Like, if, like getting down to the root of what that means, we are really, really internally at our core believing about God. It says, 
that if we don't do what other people tell us to do, God will remove his love and protection. It says that if we trust our own convictions, our own connection with the spirit and the divine and our own inner voice, if we do that, that that behavior is wrong. That's what that belief says. And I don't know many people who would agree with that. I don't know many people that would say that that would be what God would want for them, to not trust their inner voice, to not follow the Spirit of God, to not trust where the divine is connecting and leading them. They would also tell you that that worrying about other people's approval is wrong. They tell you all of those things, and yet there's this caveat of, but submit under the authority and don't step outside of it or God will not bless you. And so essentially they are saying... Don't trust your inner voice. Don't trust your inner knowing. Make sure you line up with your parents, your husband, your leadership, your pastor, and all the other Christians who want to have an opinion. Make sure you're appeasing and pleasing all of them. Because if you don't, there's a heavy price tag attached. That's what that belief system says. And the ironic thing about this is that that completely goes against the life that Jesus modeled. Jesus, when you look at his example, he bucked all of those systems, like all of them. When he was a child, he didn't submit to his parents' authority, not when he felt the divine, his father in heaven, pulling him otherwise. You see that example very clearly when he was told to stay with his parents while they were traveling, and he didn't. He stayed back in the city, and they had to go back and find him. He was in the temple. And he said, I have to be about my father's business. He did not submit to his parents' authority when the Spirit of God led him somewhere else. We also see this with his peers, with his disciples, with those closest to him. You know, you see that in the the crucifixion moment. Um, Well, prior to the crucifixion when he's in the garden. And Peter's like ready to go for a fight. He's like, you don't have to do this. We can fight this. And Jesus knew that the spirit was leading him a different way. He didn't submit to what his peer group believed was the right response. He didn't. And of course, we see this loudly displayed with how he behaved towards the religious leaders, the church leaders. And everyone wants to, you know, give the Pharisees a bad rap. Like, oh, we're not Pharisees. Oh, sweethearts, dear friends of mine. That is the group that the church identifies with. No one will say that. But when you look at history, that, that's where we are the most similar is towards the Pharisee group. And so it's very naive for any of us who have grown up in or have been a part of or have been immersed inside of a religious culture because that is the model. They spelled it out beautifully. So Jesus did not submit to the Pharisees, i.e. the religious leaders, i.e. in our terminology, pastors and leadership. He didn't. In fact, he bucked their authority so intensely that they hated him enough to kill him. So, this idea of if you don't submit to the authorities above you and you turn and you have to turn off your inner voice and ignore all of that and do what the authorities say and then God will bless you is a complete bunch of hogwash. Jesus did not model that. So my friend, if you consider yourself a Jesus follower, 
You don't have to do that. And I don't care who tells you otherwise, you have Jesus' example to back you up. Okay, moving on. So now there's this whole idea of spiritual attack, right? And and I kind of touched on that at the at the beginning where people can be living in a place of fear, they can be um, looking for, for a demonic presence or an attack through, through circumstance, through people, through my God, through things they purchase at stores, like, right? Spiritual attack. Okay. Now it's typically presented in a way that you open yourself up to spiritual attack in one of two ways. The first one being, if you step outside the will of God, then you are opening yourself up to a spiritual attack. The second way is if you do follow the will of God, then the enemy will see you as a threat and you are opening yourself up to a spiritual attack also. But that's a good spiritual attack. Either way, though, you're being spiritually attacked. Okay, so I kind of find it a bit ironic because, first of all, if you believe that if you step outside the will of God that you're opening yourself up to attack, then how do you explain all the people who don't even who completely reject the Jesus story, who completely reject the God story, living in a life full of favor and blessing. How is that possible if this theory is true? Now, I was told that they are allowed to to live in prosperity and live an easy, breezy life because the enemy or Satan is not threatened by them. So he just lets them live in luxury, in the lap of luxury, so that they can, you know, because they're not messing with him. Either way you slice it, this whole spiritual attack thing is pinning everything on what Satan has power to do. All of it comes back to what he has authority to do or what darkness has authority to do, if you want to term it that way, what the dark you know, vibes or darkness in the air, whatever you want to call it, you're essentially saying that that force has more power than anything else because it just can decide to do those things at will, unless you're completely in the will of God. But then if you're in the will of God, you're a threat to the enemy, so you're open up for attack anyway. Like, it doesn't make a lick of sense. Not one iota. Now, there's there's an example um, in scripture. I'm just going to debunk these with Jesus's actual behavior, um, starting with the first one. If you step outside the will of God, you are opening yourself up to bad things to happen to you. Okay, and you know it's funny. I was just, I was just listening to um, a story of of people who served under a prosperity preacher, and they were saying that this preacher would tell them if they didn't serve his ministry that they need to be careful because people who left his ministry would get struck with cancer and death and all the crazy things. And I just laugh because this, this mindset has been used to control and manipulate people for so long. It's just, it's so sick to me, but nonetheless, people sincerely have adapted this idea that if you do something outside of what God would want his perfect plan, then bad things could happen to you. Okay. So we're going to look at this story in scripture of Jesus when he goes um, along his journey and he encounters a blind man. And I'm not sure if you remember this story or not, but it's found in John chapter 9 and I'm just going to read it starting in verse 1. 
It says, as he went along, meaning Jesus, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Pause. Okay. This is exactly what we're talking about. They see someone who has something wrong with them, an ailment, and they are immediately thinking, oh, it was because someone did something that God didn't want them to do. They stepped outside the will of God. They sinned blah, blah, blah. And now this poor soul is blind because of it. So they're wanting to get to the bottom of it. They're like, okay, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Cause and effect. Step outside of the will of God, get cursed, right? Okay. Listen to Jesus's response. Verse three, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Period. Like he completely like dismantled that belief in a little wisdom bomb in one sentence. Yeah, this guy and his parents, neither one of them sinned. That has nothing to do with this. And of course, we know as the story goes on, he heals the man. So here we have Jesus completely throwing that whole idea of generational curses, generational sins, people doing things outside of the will of God and it causing bad things to happen. Like he completely throws that out the window in one sentence and then heals the man. Amazing story. Okay. So then you go on to this belief of if you follow the will of God, you're seen as a threat uh, to the enemy. So therefore he's plotting against you. Again, this goes back to um, this whole fear thing of, of how much power do we believe the enemy or darkness has. And one of my favorite passages in scripture is the one that talks about there is nothing, no power, no, no anything can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. No height, no depth, no power of dark, nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And if you believe that, if you sincerely believe that God is love, that he is divine, that he is the ultimate being and that he holds the most power because love always wins, because light always trumps dark. If you sincerely believe that, then you don't have anything to fear because all the other things such as darkness have no power like that. They don't. They don't have any power. Now, I think a lot of people believe that they have power because they're like, well, what about all those verses that talk about how we have to be aware of the devil and aware of Satan? Okay, we're going to go through those. Now, I'm not going to touch every passage that talks about Satan or the devil, but I am going to talk about the ones that were spoken by Jesus. Because again, I don't know about you, but I am one who follows Jesus, and so that's where I look. I, I don't really look to anything else. So, okay, this is Jesus talking. This is in John chapter eight, verse 44. And he's speaking and he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay. So just for giggles, I decided to do a search on the um, the Greek word that he actually spoke for the devil. And surprisingly, 
it actually, like when you look in the, um, the concordance for this word, it, it doesn't have a picture of a little devil with horns and a tail, and it doesn't say that. This word is more like an adjective describing something, not a noun. And the word that it pulls up is malicious, slanderous, devilish. So he's using a word here to describe a mindset, to describe what these people are behaving like children as. He's using a a father-son, if you will, analogy here. You belong to your father, the devil, but the word actually that he used means your father, the malice, your father, slander. You are a child of that. Meaning you're behaving from that space inside your heart. So he actually wasn't talking about a literal thing, a literal entity. He was actually talking about an adjective that describes the way um, things can be, such as malicious or slanderous, devilish. He's using a term that described something. I found that super interesting. Okay, the next verse that that is often thrown around. And this is the first one that came to my mind when I thought of the verses that were told to me to be leery of, of Satan and, and his work is in John. Again, this is Jesus speaking, John 10, 10. And I know, I know y'all church people are going to recognize this one. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I cannot tell you how many times this verse was referenced in regards to spiritual warfare, at least in my personal experience. And when I hear other people talking about how we need to be careful because the thief is coming, he's coming, and then we have to be on guard. And okay, take a breath. Take a breath. The context of passages is so important, and this one could not be more important. Jesus was actually, before he starts talking about this, he's de- he describes a robbery. He describes how robbers go into people's homes and take what they want and steal from them. And then we come to this verse where in that same paragraph, it's the same paragraph, he says, a thief comes to steal, steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. He was not describing Satan. He was actually using a literal comparison with robbers, with thieves because that's a literal picture that we can understand and he was trying to explain to them that he is not here to take from you he's not he's here to give robbers take they steal they exhaust they drain and he was trying to explain to them the difference that he's not like that he's coming to give to bring life and life so wonderful that it's lived to the fullest so The next time someone wants to throw that verse at you, or even your head wants to make you afraid by that verse and how Satan has all this power, Jesus was not talking about Satan or or a power of darkness even. He was literally talking about a story that involved a robber. (laughs) That's what he was talking about. Okay, so then we go to this other verse that Jesus um, speaks and this is um and I know you'll probably recognize this too this is found in Matthew 16:23 Jesus turned and said to Peter get behind me Satan you are a stumbling block to me you do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns seems pretty clear right and a lot of people look at that as 
Well, he was, he was having the spirit. I mean, people can, can be under spiritual bondage. I mean, he had the spirit of Satan on him. Okay. When you look at the actual word that was used there, now it's a different word than the devil word that he used earlier. He used a different word here. And this word in the Greek means someone in opposition, an opposer, an adversary. It doesn't actually mean a literal thing like Satan. It, it means it's the opposer, the adversary. Now, people could spin that to say that, well, that could, that he, he meant Satan. Well, but he didn't say that. He, he was talking, again, in words that are adjective-like words, words that are dis- descriptive words. So what does all this mean? What do, what do we do with all this? Well, I like to look at the way Jesus interacted with people as a whole, because I think that it gives us a really clear picture into how God sees mankind and how God, the divine, that good light spirit of love that all of us feel drawn towards, um, I think it gives us a picture of his view. And, and, you know, Jesus himself said, I don't do anything apart from my father, what I see my father doing. So when Jesus interacted with people, and remember, he interacted with loads of people. And how often did you see him rebuking spirits or, or telling people to renounce spirits or, or doing spiritual warfare and engaging with Satan on a daily basis over the souls of people? You did not see that. Now, there is that moment when Jesus is in the desert, right? And he is engaging with what we know as Satan, with the enemy, with whatever you want to call it. We do see that engagement. But that was one moment. And that certainly was not something you saw him doing every day. That certainly was not something you saw him doing with people on a daily basis and and dragging them into something like that. That was just not a thing. And in fact, you look at how he was with the woman caught in adultery. Did he go to her and say, okay, repent from your sin. And now we're going to walk through this renouncing of the spirit of lust. We're going to walk you through renouncing um, the spirit of of selfishness or whatever, unfaithfulness. Because we need to get that spirit out of you. No, he did not do that. The woman at the well who had all the husbands, remember her? Did you see him walk her through the steps of, of removing, you know, oh, okay, right now I sense a spirit here at work. It's a spirit of, of manipulation, of unfaithfulness. No, he didn't walk her through that. When he was ministering to thousands of people, How often did you see him engaging in quote-unquote spiritual warfare over the souls of these people and training them to do so? You didn't. This was not a part of his daily life, and I think that's really important. So when I look at my life and the way I choose to live, do I believe that that there is darkness? Of course I do. But I also believe that I'm trying to model my life after Jesus. And Jesus did not seem obsessed or worried or concerned about darkness. Not really one bit. Especially not when he was interacting with people. Especially when he was doing ministry. Now, I, I can already hear some of you saying, well, but, but the guy that he cast the demons out of, yes. And that man was like, from what I 
can gather from the scripture, foaming at the mouth, speaking in different voices. Okay, that's a whole nother league, people. So if you encounter someone like that, they are probably in some medical facility, truthfully. Like people like that in our society are not engaging in the public. Is there demonic activity that happens? I do believe that that does happen. But I believe it's not the norm. I think it's an exception to the norm. So you're not going to be engaging with someone possessed or someone under really, really dark spiritual stuff at Target most likely. You probably won't. So when you are engaging with people on an everyday basis, I think it's really important that we view them as Jesus viewed people. And I think it's important that we view our interactions in our daily life like he did, which was based in love, which was not based in fear, and which was not overly obsessed with spiritual things that involve warfare and all that kind of stuff. Now, as I said before, I I do believe that there is darkness. I do believe that there can be things such as spiritual strongholds. And, and I will briefly give you an overview of what I think about that. Um, I've, I've interacted in homes where there was freakish like spiritual activity happening, whether you want to call it hauntings or ghosts or demonic, whatever label you want to give it, it was happening. And I've witnessed that. I have seen that. Um, so I do know that darkness is real. I personally have encountered things that I cannot deny were of a dark spiritual nature. Can't deny that. I will say that for me personally, I seem to see more of that when I was looking for it in that, um, you know, if you go poking around in something, you might find something you don't necessarily need to find. Um, I remember I was taught to to call out spirits and rebuke them and um, all those things. And you know, if you start engaging with darkness, I I think that's an activity that will bring you maybe some of the results you're looking for, but might also invite um, <laughs> some discomfort too, whether it be fear or paranoia or your imagination playing tricks on you or or something legit. Either way, I don't see much good fruit that comes from that. So for me, I I backed off the over-spiritualizing wild train and I've landed more in the, you know what? I'm going to follow my inner knowing and follow my inner voice. I'm going to chase goodness. I'm going to chase light. I'm going to chase love. I'm going to view people as people and not as projects and not as people carrying spirits that I need to be afraid of or need to fix, but I'm actually going to view mankind as mankind and believe that, like Jesus said, he didn't come to take from me. He didn't come to exhaust me. He didn't come to drain me, i.e. in spiritual warfare. No, he came to give life and give it to the fullest. And so I can live a life that includes ease. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You know, we we forget, we get so caught up in our doctrines and so caught up in our theology and so caught up in, in trying to, to crack this, this God code that we forget the simplicity of the way of life that Jesus came to live. And as I've said a thousand times before, mankind has royally misinterpreted and screwed up 
the character and the nature of God since the beginning. And the Bible documents how many times people have gotten it wrong. But Jesus came to say, hey, no, this is what God is really like. And as Pastor Brian Zahn says, Jesus is what God says. Or, and as Carlos, Carlos Rodriguez on the podcast a few weeks ago tagged onto that, Jesus is what God is still saying. Like, this is what I'm like right here. I'm not chasing demons everywhere. I'm not freaked out about a sweater from a thrift store. I'm not looking at people as projects. I'm here to serve and to love and to show you a better way. So when it comes to spiritual strongholds, I'm going to end on this, um, circling back. I keep not quite getting to this point. I believe a stronghold spiritually to be anything that has to do with your soul and your mind holding on to something dark. And I think we pick up darkness through our experiences, through pain, through abuse, through, through hurt, mistreatment. We can pick up a lot of dark things. And in my episode where I talked about how to handle trauma, I was talking about how you remove those lies, those false beliefs about yourself and about your worth. This applies here. I would view that as a stronghold. You know, you could have been raised by by a parent who who told you your whole life that you were never going to amount to anything, that you had no value, that you were stupid. That placed a barrier in your mind of darkness. That's darkness. They probably were carrying darkness and they vomited it onto you. And now you're carrying that darkness. I view that as a stronghold. And I view those things as things that do have to be walked through and overcome. And a lot of that overcoming doesn't come from fasting. It doesn't come from anointing your walls or reciting and memorizing verses. I see a lot of that as band-aids, truthfully. It can maybe ease some of your symptoms for a bit, but I, and I have been in ministry for almost over a decade now, those things putter out. What I've seen that has long-term health, long-term effects are when you actually step out of a zone that's not reality and you step into reality and you really look at what happened to you and you're really honest about it. And what it's done to you. And you start to peel that stuff back. And insert some true messages into your soul. And try to remove the false messages out. A lot of that um, is, is work. A lot of that is grief. None of that is fun. It usually is best done with a therapist. A professional. And usually still requires a good peer group of support to walk you through it because healing from stuff is painful. The hardest thing I think I see in my experience in walking with people through pain is how they avoid it by putting all these spiritual labels on top of it. Oh, it's just a spiritual attack. I need to go fast more. I need to go pray more. I need to meditate more. I need to lock myself in a closet for hours and pour over scripture like a crazy person. You're not going to find healing there. You're just not. Again, maybe some temporary relief, some temporary comfort, but you know what? Chocolate will do that too. A glass of wine will do that too. Any of that, coping, trying to band-aid, patch up, things can become addictive behaviors. And that's one thing that I've seen with some of the most hurt people that appear to be the most spiritual people 
they have just taken a coping mechanism of patching up their wounds with lots of over-spiritualization and that's become their fix. It's become an addiction. They're obsessive about it. I've walked with a lot of those people. It's hard to watch, truthfully. Um, I've also had the honor of helping some of those people remove that mask, step into the reality of the pain they really don't want to step into, and do the work to get some real healing. God is very present in the real work. He's really, really present with the broken and the hurting. And as much as people want to encounter the divine, the, the, the light, the, the God force in their quote-unquote spiritual warfare, it pales in comparison to the connection you will feel with him in the valley of what feels like a living hell. In what feels like, truthfully, a valley of the shadow of death where your soul is aching and tired and hurting. You will encounter him or her. Some people, you know, they like to view God as more of a female form. I believe he takes on whatever form we need him to because he will connect with us in any way that he possibly can. Whatever works for you, whatever connects with you. There's a connection that happens in the pain that you can't get anywhere else. And there is long-term healing after you're willing to sit with it and move through it the hard way, the long way. I think a lot of people view the the over, they wouldn't say it's over-spiritualizing, but the, the warfare stuff, the Satan stuff, the enemy's out to get me, the, oh, it was just Satan attacking me. Oh, it was, it was because I opened this door and had sex with that person. Now there's a soul tie and now I've, I now have that spirit on me. All of that, truthfully, in my opinion, are easy ways to avoid the realities that a lot of us don't want to look at. It's so easy to slap a label on something and ignore what it really is. It really could be that you had a terrible encounter with a terrible person and they terribly broke you. That could be the reality. It, it probably had nothing to do with an attack from Satan or darkness or whatever, but it actually was a, just in a rotten person that now wounded you and you have to do the work, the unfair work of healing and forgiving and moving through that. No one wants to do that. It's a whole lot easier to blame Satan for that stuff. It's a whole lot easier to say that your bad day was a spiritual attack when really it was that maybe you were lazy and you didn't get your stuff done on time and now you're like reaping the consequences of that and it sucks. Your day got harder because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. So much easier to call that an an attack than just taking ownership of your own self and your own decisions and looking at those for what they are. It's a whole lot easier to say that that person you slept with now brought on this this spiritual tie that that it's now their fault that you deal with with insecurity and it's their fault that you deal with all of this junk because you slept with them. That's way easier than just saying, yeah, I've got some insecurity stuff happening. And maybe it was in part due to a bad relationship. I need to work through that. Maybe I now deal with envy and jealousy because that person treated me like crap and made me feel worthless and made me feel like I needed to have what other people had. The real work is never fun. 
Is there darkness? Absolutely. Do we have to work through that in healing? Absolutely. But I take great comfort in how Jesus dealt with people and how he lived his life. A life that shows that God is good, that God is kind, that God is merciful. And you know what? He gives blessings to people who are total screw-ups. He blesses them anyway because he's that good. Oh my gosh. What? No, that throws the whole thing off. No, that can't be right. Well, guess what? It is. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He loves them all. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. Christ came so all, right? could be sons and daughters, right? Like all is a really inclusive word. So that's the heart of God we have. It's not like Jesus said, he did not come to steal and rob and take from you and put burdens on you that are too heavy to bear. And people wrapped up in spiritual warfare and spiritual oppression and spiritual fear and feeling like they had to submit unto authorities to, to, to not be outside of God's covering. That's exhausting, No, 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 and no. Jesus's life did not model that example. His words did not speak to that. He came to give you life and give it to the fullest. So breathe easy, my friends, breathe easy. If Jesus didn't do it, you don't have to do it either. If he didn't stress himself out over these things, you don't have to stress yourself out either. I hope that this was encouraging to you. I hope that this brought some freedom for you. I hope this brought some clarity. But I also recognize that maybe for some of you, you have more questions. And if you do, great. I love questions. I love connecting and I love exploring your story and your journey as best I can. Reach out to me. You can reach out to me uh, through Instagram. You can DM me there. You can also find me on Facebook. You can also send me an email through my website just a jesusfollower.com. Any of those ways, I'm happy to connect with you. And if you like this podcast, do your friend Anna a huge favor. Go to iTunes, rate this show, leave a review on this show. These things mean so much to me and they sincerely do help this podcast move forward. Love you guys. Grace and peace to you. And I'll see you next week. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.